chapter 5, please. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are on the last chapter of going through the book of 1 Peter. We still have a couple or a little ways to go as we go through chapter 5. We're going to be talking about spiritual leadership today. What does it mean to be an elder, pastor, and the importance of leadership? And then from there, we're going to be moving towards what living a humble Christian life looks like. And then we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And then we'll have a summary as we end our, our study in First Peter. Have not quite decided what book we're going to go into next. Have a couple ideas, but I usually like to wait to the week of just so I can see what, uh, what the Lord moves in. But I'm excited about ending this book. We talked about, well, ending it because of, of the summary. In other words, we've talked about the tsunami that's approaching. If you hear last week, we, we discussed what this tsunami of persecution is, the tsunami that's quickly approaching these Christians that Peter is writing to. And we talked about the idea of when a tsunami comes, there are certain indicators that say, hey, you need to get to higher ground. These things are happening. One of the indicators we talked about is some of the animals act differently. We know that the birds will actually, before a storm hits, they will go under the trees. And sometimes they hear testimonies of dogs howling and barking when a tsunami is approaching. And then the most telltale sign is if we were to go out in the bay, what would happen if a tsunami was coming is the water would recede. It would go back out and then it would come back in all at once. And these are signs and symptoms that something dangerous is coming. Well, there are signs and symptoms that something dangerous is coming to this first century church. And Peter, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing about very specific subjects that are going to prove essential for these Christians during or before, during, and after times of persecution. How kind of the Holy Spirit to do that. And today, we're going to focus on the importance of spiritual leadership, specifically the shepherd elder. How important is leadership during times of crisis? Now, that's a question. Very important. And it's hard to rate these subjects that Peter has given because we've talked about holiness. We've talked about suffering last week. So it's hard to say which one is the most important. But when it comes in times of persecution, leadership is essential. I think all of us can say that we've seen the effects of a, uh, of a lack of leadership in families, in jobs. You think about jobs you've been on with lacks, a lack of leadership, our country, and in the church. These are areas where leadership is supposed to be there, and it's essential in every one of these, starting in the family, careers, our country, and our church. Leadership is essential. Now, leadership happens no matter what. Any choice you make, you're leading if you are a leader. So there can be bad leadership and there can be good leadership. Several years ago, I think around 2002, um, some of you might know the name John Maxwell. Well, John Maxwell did a series on Christian or church leadership. I, I took part in the series. And what John Maxwell noticed was the corporate world seems to be doing a good job at managing employees. And what if we took some of those corporate ideas and we transformed them a bit, massaged them a bit, and we put them or implemented them in the church? Would that be helpful? So he wrote a book about leadership. 
Now, that's not all what he did, but what was caught and taught by me as I went through this, I was thinking through how the principles that he's teaching in leadership would manage the church well. And believe me, you need to manage a church. As part of the job description of a pastor and his staff is to manage a church. But that's not, management is not what a church needs in times of pending doom, of pending persecution. Because I think you and all and I could agree that the same way that this first century church may have seen the signs and symptoms of something coming, I think all we have to do is take a look at the bay and look at the signs and symptoms that something may be coming for us as well. So the idea of godly spiritual leadership is essential. Dear friends, when we think of programs like welfare and things that have become essential in our, in our country today, it's really in part a failure of the church to carry and take care of its own. If churches in communities, which is where in the Church of England, where they originally established a church would be in this particular community, they, they would take care of their own whether they attended the church or not. So leadership starts in the families, goes to the churches, and spreads to the jobs and the country. Leadership is essential. So as I talk about leadership this morning, I want to be very clear. I'm talking about spiritual leadership. Management is good. There are techniques that we need to employ. But I will tell you that when it comes to management administration, that is not a strength of mine. That is one of those things where I see I need some growing in. But other, side, uh, other strengths in, that we have as a church shine. And it's not just a strength that we have, it, or I have, it's a strength that we all have. It's one of those little things here that I need to go back over my John Maxwell book and, and grow a little bit. So, but what I want to talk about this morning is spiritual leadership. Now, as I read the passage, I'm going to be reading 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I want you to ask a couple questions as I read this passage. The first one is, where do you think Peter gets the model for this leadership? Now, I will admit, this is a Sunday school answer. Where do you think Peter gets the model from? In other words, how does he know what an elder is supposed to be like? Did somebody model it in front of him? Okay, you know the answer, but I want you to be at least thinking about it. Number two, I want you to ask yourself this. I want you to, as best as you can, as best as you know, me and the leadership of this church, I want you to ask yourself, are we doing an okay job? And I'm being absolute serious. And I want you to know I'm not fishing for compliments. What I want you to know is this, is that I am accountable to you. And as I'm reading this passage, I'm really reading my job description. And you know how intimidating it is to teach on your job description? You know, and I look in the mirror and I see that I am far from perfect, that there are many things in my, in my life and character that I could be better at. So I want you to ask the real question is, is as a church, do we do these things? Do, does your leadership stand on these principles? And if not, then I would ask you to please come see me. It, it really, it, it, all, all you'd have to frame it is like this. I had a question about this. And you're doing this, and I just want to talk to you about it. And I'd be, oh, my goodness, I didn't even see that, or thank you for that. I want to try to model to be approachable. And I think all the leaders of the church leadership team are on the same page. 
So I want you to do that. I want you to think about the leadership of this church. And third is, is I want you to think about the leadership in your life. I'm going to be focusing on Christian leadership, but you can take every one of these principles and establish it in your own life. Because every one of you leads in some way. Some of you lead just yourself. Some of you lead families. Some of you lead children. I say families, I mean both families as husband and wife, children, no children, grandchildren. You are a leader. And how does a leader supposed to act? Christian leader now. I'm not going to be teaching management skills because you know that I know very little about that. I'm talking about spiritual leadership that you and I are supposed to provide. All right, so if you've got your Bibles open to 1 Peter 5, would you stand with me as we read 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5? 1 Peter chapter 5, reading verses 1 through 5. These are the words of our living and true God. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There ends the reading. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you and ask your special blessing upon our study now. As we look into the history, as we look into your word, and as we try to apply it to our life, I pray that you would impart to us the truth that whether we are in eldership or desire eldership in a church or not, we are all spiritual leaders. Pray for heads of households that they would hear these words. I pray for singles. I pray for married. I pray for every one of us, Lord, to take charge of what leadership capacity that you have given us. And I ask, Lord God, as a church, that we would hold our leaders accountable, both here in Kaufman and everywhere knowing that, uh, Lord, that we are all working together as your church. So, Father, in Jesus' name, bless our study, we pray that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This, um, this in particular, is a special passage for me. Um, this is what my wife gave me when I was first ordained to the office of Pastor Elder. And it's one of those desk things here. And she has engraved on it the name and the date I was ordained. I think it was um, October 3rd, 2010. And she has on there 1 Peter 5, verse 2. In the photo here, let's brag a little bit. This was one of those crazy beach photos where you all dress up with guns and cowboys and stuff. And we're all dressed up as cowboys with six shooters. And, and, but it's my entire, I know you can't see it, but it's my entire family is before my mom passed away. It's the last family picture we have. So I keep that in there as just a, a reminder, and I keep that in my office. So this passage in particular was one that was read at my ordination, and it's read, I, I think, I hope, at most ordinations. 
Because the words are solemn, they're grave, and they're challenging, but they are the responsibility of someone called to the office of pastor. And I'm going to read you something else that was also read at my ordination. And it says this, The person who fills this office is designated in Scripture by different names, expressive of his various duties. As he has the oversight of the flock of Christ, he is termed overseer or bishop. As he feeds them with spiritual food, he is termed pastor. As it is his duty to be grave and prudent and an example to the flock and to govern well the household of God, he is termed elder. Now, I want to make mention of this. What this is saying is that these offices uh, or these titles of overseer that you see here of, of pastor and elder, you don't see the word pastor, but it's implied in the word shepherd. You see these terms as different names of the same office. And what they are is descriptive words. So overseer does that overseeing the entirety of the church, the overall health of the church, spiritual health, the overall needs and direction of the church. He is termed overseer for overseeing that. And he is termed pastor for feeding the flock of God. And guess what he is to primarily feed the flock of God with? The word of God. This is what we feast on. So as he is the feeder of the word of God to the church, he is termed pastor. And as one that offers counsel, as one who is to be prudent, as one is to be grave and govern well, he is termed elder. So in our passage, you see hints and actually the revealing of all of these. You see the word elder, and then you see as one who offers oversight You see, that is an overseer. And then you see, you don't see the word pastor, but you see the word shepherd, poinonian, and that is the word pastor. That's what it means. So in our passage, we have all of these titles that Peter is putting together for the same office. And what I love about Peter is he introduces this subject not by calling his own credentials forward. He doesn't say, as an apostle, I tell these low elders, this is what you're to do. But he says, as a fellow elder, this is the humility of this and the journey of this man. And this is one of the reasons why I love 1 Peter, is because you can see the journey of him as a disciple arguing and trying to be up front with Jesus. And then you see now the apostle who takes a step back and say, hey, as a fellow elder, let me appeal to you. I see that immediate in humility. So let's talk about this idea of elder. What is, it, what is an elder? And is the New Testament this first place where we see the word elder? No. In our culture today, when I say someone is an elder, what does that usually mean? Grandpa, gray hair, right? It's somebody that is often experienced in life, wise, often weathered by life, shown in their wrinkles and gray hair. Our culture doesn't seem to respect anymore elders. As a matter of fact, I, when I was down south, I remember a time where I, where I saw, I was in a group of people and saw this elderly gentleman walking with a, a little boy in his hand, and it caused some of the people I was with to ask the question, what's that guy doing with that little boy? not even thinking that that might be his grandfather. There's a, there's a question, what happens when somebody sees somebody elderly driving a car? Not here in town, of course, I'm talking about down south. 
Uh oh. I was actually, and, I, and this is a true story, I was actually hit by, <laughs> um, I was riding my bicycle and hit by somebody that was um, gray haired. <laughs> um, there's questions we call into question. We, we have a, a little bit of scrutiny, or they're in the way, they're bothersome, but that's not the every culture. As a matter of fact, the Native Americans and Native Alaskans have a high regard for their elders. A couple years ago, my daughter Emma got to go to a Clinket cultural event in, where was it? In Sitka, right? Or Juneau. It was in Juneau. There she was exposed to some of the um, cultural traditions that the, the Native Alaskan, the Clinket culture has. And the, I asked her, what did you learn about the elders there? And so these are some of the things that she, she immediately said. She said one of the things she noticed was the immense spec, respect that they had for them. She remembers learning that the elders sat in priority seating. They sat up front. People don't eat until the elders were served and the elders eat. Young people make sure that the elders' drinks of water and coffee were always full. And young people never sat down when an elder was standing. She was even corrected in her how she shook hands. See, Emma's got a nice firm handshake. And she shook hands of, a, of an elder and, and was said, you know, when you shake hands, shake a little lighter and do it this way. See, the, the culture of the Native Alaskans and Native Americans is elders are there as wisdom part or givers. They're there to help, and people hold them in respect. This was the same culture of respecting elders that was present in Israel. Just a cursory reading of the Old Testament, you'll see the word elder everywhere. Let me, let me read to you some of the responsibilities an Old Testament elder had. They represented the people in the sacred covenant and in the proclamation of the law. We see this in Exodus 19, verse 7. Deuteronomy 27, I've got several other passages, I'll just move on. Elders helped appoint a leader or a king, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. They were a part of proclaiming war, Joshua 8.10. They were to conduct political negotiations and make agreements, Exodus 3.16, Numbers 16.25. They were to perform sacred ceremonies, Exodus 12, 21, Leviticus 9, 1. They were to act in times of national crisis, Exodus 17, 5, and 6. And the elders held the meetings near the city gate. They were the ones that oversaw the judgments that happened in the small communities. So if there was a problem, like a problem in our community of Kaufman, there would be a place somewhere Local, where the elders would all go hang out, kind of like the loafers' lounge. They just hang out there. And if there was ever a problem, people would go to the elders and ask their judgment on the issue. And elders would, out of their wisdom, give their advice or say, this is what we're going to do. This was the respect and authority that they had. You see, the idea of church came out of times when Israel was in persecution, where Israel was in captivity. They couldn't go to the temple anymore, so this idea of a synagogue started to form where they would gather together. Somebody was the president of the meeting. They would read the Torah, and then they would have a rabbi or the president give an explanation of what they read, and then they would talk about it. That was the synagogue. There was leadership, both rabbis and elders, that would oversee the reading of the Torah. They would oversee these things. So when, when the apostles got together, they have that history 
of this is what we do together, the idea of a church gathering together, performing the Lord's table together, and um, listening to the word of God together, this was something they, they took right from their Jewish culture and tradition. So it makes sense to us that the idea of an elder would be somebody who oversees the gathering, president of the gathering, they would call it, somebody who feeds the people upon the words of Christ, the words of God, and somebody who administers the sacraments together, just like the elders partake in the Old Testament. So the idea of an elder is a strong Old Testament connotation to it. But what of the word pastor? Pastor, we see also in the Old Testament. Now, I know that this is a teaching sermon. There are sometimes teaching sermons, and there are sometimes preaching sermons, and sometimes there's a mixture of both. I am going into great detail on this because of where we are at today with some of the decisions of the Southern Baptists, so that we understand what the office of elder and pastor is, and I want to be very clear on it. So where do we see pastor in the Bible? Well, we see pastor most strongly stated in the book of Ezekiel, and it's not good. Let me read to you a portion of scripture in the Old Testament where we see the word pastor. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with the force of harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth, and none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, God, surely, because my sheep have been a, a prey, become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the sheep have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and have put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Did you hear, if you stayed with me on that, did you hear a striking similarity between the urgings of our passage in Peter and this rebuke that God gives his shepherds, they're almost identical on what not to do. Then we see something in Matthew, or in the book of John where we see how God came to be the shepherd of his flock. You remember in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And again, Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So how did God in Ezekiel care for his sheep? He came down in the form 
of his, our Savior and cared for the sheep as the good shepherd. When Jesus said this, there was a group of people that surely knew Ezekiel. And then there was, as they listened, they were scattered and brought near, and they listened to Jesus who did heal them, who did feed them the 5,000 on the hill. If you remember, that's not a random thing. It's Jesus fulfilling this prophecy of Ezekiel. He's feeding them. He's healing them. He's caring for them. He leaves the 99 to go search for the one. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Now that group of people felt comforted by his words, but there was another group of people that didn't feel comforted by his words. In fact, it angered them. And that was the current shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, who were supposed to be leading the sheep, but they stood around with their nice, clean, white vestments and robes, taking money from them and giving them nothing in return. So Israel was saved through the great shepherd. So when I talk about elder and pastor, they have Old Testament connotations that we need to understand, and we need to understand how they are to apply to this one rule. Now let's talk about this idea of how a shepherd is supposed to lead. I'm going to do this in three ways. That a shepherd is to lead, but not out of compulsion. This is a warning against laziness. A shepherd is to give and not take shamefully. This is a warning against greed. A shepherd is to guide, but not domineering. And this is a warning against pride. So this is what I'm talking. We're going to be talking about leading, giving, guiding, warnings against laziness, greed, and pride. You would think about this idea of laziness, greed, and pride, and it seems odd that a position such as a pastor would struggle with these things. But if you take a survey and you look across the nation, these things come up over and over again. So let's take a look at the first one, leading, but not out of compulsion. I listened to a man talk uh, recently about the COVID uh, lessons that we've learned through COVID. And I talked a little bit briefly about it in Sunday school as well. There are several lessons that the church learned through COVID. The first one is, is that no one tells us when to meet and when not to meet. End of story. And we also learned that we need to be very cautious on what we listen to and believe when it comes to the media. These are things that we've learned. Now, we didn't know at the beginning, but as time went on, we started to see these things became obvious and we made changes. One of the things that we needed during that time was solid good leadership. And COVID, as much as it showed us that we weren't really prepared to lead through something like that, it really trained us as well so that we can lead when the next thing happens. So what God, the enemy meant for evil, God turned around and meant for good. We need godly leadership. And it says that godly leadership is supposed to be feeding the flock. Now here's the thing. What is he supposed to be feeding the flock with? The word of God. A shepherd that does not feed himself first cannot feed the congregation. This is why the shepherds of Israel were rebuked. What did they have to feed the flock? Nothing. Because they had nothing to feed them with. Instead, they fed upon the sheep. This is what they were rebuked for. 
So when you think about this idea of leading and feeding, one of the other things that we saw as developed in the time of COVID was a spirit of laziness. And let me explain. It's much easier when it comes to workload to pastor during COVID times. There's no meetings. There's no counseling. There's no going to people's houses for visitations. There's no hospital visits. And preaching is done in front of a camera in an empty church. You have one day a week, and then the rest of the time, yeah, you know. I have a friend who didn't meet for over a year with his church. He's the pastor. No, I get it. I get it. Restrictions, and they were afraid, and this is a learning time. But no, no, no. There was a result of this. This is not a brag. Several of you will identify and be able to identify with this. The first years of ministry, on average, I work from 65 to 70 hours a week. You get home and get a phone call. Does that work? You have a meeting at 6 in the morning and you don't get done with worship practice until 8 o'clock at night. Does that work? There is a lot of work when it comes to pastoral ministry. But there's also the temptation strong to just be lazy. You can tell, I hope you can tell, when you listen to a message, judge mine and others that you have listened to, and I want to ask the question, can you tell when the pastor has spent time in the word, mining it, working on it, studying it, and time when a message is just a topic, three points, maybe a joke and a story, and then we're done? So here's the thing, when it comes to leadership in the church, feeding upon or feeding the church, you feed what you got. And if you don't got anything, you can't feed anything. And eventually you start to feed upon the people that are attending, the people in the church. What does that look like? When you start to see pastors and preachers preaching to the needs, the felt needs of the congregation, he's feeding upon them. I want you to like me. I want you to attend my church. So I'm going to say things that you like to hear. I'm going to say things that build you up. I'm not going to mention things like sin or cross or repentance or things that get in your way and make you feel bad. That's, when it come, that's what it looks like to feed upon the flock. But when you have the preaching out of God's word, this is something that you take home and chew and feed upon. Now, you've heard the story and the saying, I should say, that you can lead a horse to the trough, but you can't make him drink. I could preach all day and it could leave your head as soon as you walk out the door. And believe me, I've listened to enough sermons and spoken enough sermons where I struggle with that too sometimes. Dear friends, uh, let me encourage you that it is your responsibility to eat the food of the word that's presented to you. Amen. It's not just your duty of going to service and calling it good for the day. You've done your Sunday deed. This is the word of God for you and me today. Good pastors feed the flock and don't and are not lazy. A warning against laziness. Number two, pastors are to be giving and not shameful in taking. A warning against greed. This is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, nobody that I know of, that I knew of or know of, uh, became a pastor because it looked good on the finances department. No. Being a pastor is a calling, and that calling you obey. But there are some 
that go into the ministry and position themselves in ministry for the purpose of greed and build themselves up. I looked at the highest paid pastor salaries. Highest paid pastor salaries. The names won't surprise you. I don't need to even say them, but they, they are well-known pastors. All you have to do is turn on TBN and you'll see almost all of them. The highest paid pastors are in the millions. This is not book deals, preaching engagement money. This is salary from churches in the millions. So when I ask questions of why that is, why there is a desire for it, this idea comes of a theology that they have to justify it somehow, and they come up with this theology of something called the Word of Faith movement. I've, I've spoke about this several times. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but let me do it one more time. And the reason why I feel, feel passionate about this is because I spent several years in the Word of Faith movement when I was a young Christian. It's this idea that when a pastor comes in and he gets out of his expensive car and he's wearing his expensive suit, he's got his expensive watch on and his cufflinks of diamonds, and he comes up and people have this idea that he must be really holy. God really likes that guy. He's dressed so well. And the people that he is uh, ministering to are the ones that he is receiving all of the money for because one of the things he says is, if you want to be blessed... You need to give. You need to give in abundance. And what God you give to God, God will bless you a hundredfold in return. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? What if I promise that to you right now? Do you want to be blessed? We'd all say, amen, I want to be blessed. Do you want to have more money? Amen, let's do it. All right, well, then you need to give more money. Just, just give it. Put On your checks, write Jason, though. Do that. Do Jason Wakefield. Jason Wakefield Ministries. No, that's, that is heresy. That has, it is one of the worst kinds of messages that we have sent to places like Africa. Can you imagine standing in front of a, uh, a group of people that have nothing and say something like that? Pastoral ministry is not about what you get out of it. Pastoral ministry is what you see and give into it. This is not a new thing, actually, this idea of, of people doing it for the money. There's an early Christian document called the Didache. It, it was written around 50 A.D. to 120 A.D. That's very, very early. It's not an authoritative uh, book of the Bible, so we don't look at it that way. We look at it as advice, and we get an idea of how the culture was of the Christian church. Let me read to you a pardon of it. Chapter 11 of the Didache says this. Let every apostle who comes to you be received as you would the Lord. Okay. But he shall not remain more than one day or two days if he has a need. So if he has a need, he can stay one or two days. But if he remains for three days, he's a false prophet. So they had to get out of there pretty quick. And if the, when the apostle goes away, let him take nothing but bread. If he asks for money, he's a false prophet. We're talking 50 years or so after Jesus walked this earth. Thereabouts. And you already have charlatans going from church place to church place saying, I have a word of the Lord for you, brother, but I sure am hungry. I have a word of the Lord, but I have a car payment. This is happening in these early times. So it doesn't surprise us that it's happening now, but it's in, it goes right back to the Ezekiel passage. Pastoral ministry is about giving, not receiving. 
Dear friends, I hope you haven't f forgotten about your position in this. I know that many of you don't feel called to the role of pastor. So I speak like I'm, I should be down there looking at me talking about these things. But all of you are leadership. So the first thing is, is in your leadership, are you lazy in it? Or are you leading? Are you doing it for yourself? Greed? Or are you selflessly giving? And the last one. Spiritual leadership is about guiding, but not domineering. Being an example to the flock. And this is a warning against pride. Uh, early on in ministry, I had this strong desire to be a pastor. I mean, it was all I wanted to do in life. God gave it to me, and it was all I, I, I positioned my whole life around it. And one of the things that the uh, leadership team that, that I was under, they would observe, and it became kind of an inside joke. Instead of taking these guys that felt called to pastoral ministry and giving them to teach a Bible study or a Sunday school or even a sermon, they'd say, hey, can you stack these chairs for me? And could you do it every week, by the way? And when you see somebody, a young man, old man, that feels called to ministry, and he's like, I'm on it, and he stacks those chairs, what's he saying? This is ministry. You see, I was part of a church plant. We put chairs up every week in a gym. We tore down chairs every week in a gym. We put together all the sound system every week. And everyone who felt called to be pastors, we were there Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, two hours early so that we could do that. Why? Because that's ministry. And none of us are above any part of that. You want a pastor, a leader, to be able to stack chairs and feel comfortable doing that in the same way that you want a leader or a pastor who is able to exegete the Word of God. That's what you should expect. This is what we are to do. Pride is, I've seen two ministries. I can think of them and I could name them right now. I won't. One of them in the Seattle area, one of them in the Maryland area. With leadership that was started off really good, really passionate about the Lord. But then they grew and they grew, and then pretty soon the, the pastor became just a preacher. Not really time for counseling, not really time for visits, because there's so many people there. So he would show up every, every Sunday, preach the word, or go and visit, and there'd be another preacher, and he'd write books. And that was his ministry. And what that does is it causes the head of the pastor to get a little bit big. So when he walks into a room, there's a hush that goes over the people. That's the pastor. Did you get his latest book? That pride has an effect on the heart. This is a warning against pride for the fact of it is that pastoring is a gift that Jesus gives. Friends, I'm going to say this with I'm really not good at much. Please hear my heart, please. If you would have seen me in high school, you would have never thought that I could do anything like this. I never thought I could do anything like this. I am a classic C student, and that's good for me. I didn't study well. I didn't retain information well. I don't know how it happened other than God said, let now be the time the gift is given. And whatever you see here, if it be anything good, the glory has to go to God because I know who I see in the mirror. 
I'm still the same knucklehead I was in the eighth grade. That's, what, that's the guy that's living in here. Anything that you do, you do well. God has given you that ability. Therefore, you cannot take any credit for it. Pride creeps in when you start taking credit for the things you think you did. But then when you do that, you get the results of only what you can do. I would rather take, give God the glory and give him the credit for things he did so that he gets the results, the glory, and the result is something that God can do I could never do. This is a warning against pride. This is what we as a church need in spiritual leadership. Now, let me wrap this up here. We are shown that pastor, elder, overseer are to be those that lead. They lead by feeding. They need to be giving, others focused. They need to be guiding. They need to be wary against laziness, wary against greed, and wary against pride. So back to my three questions I asked you at the very beginning. Who is the example of the pastoral ministry? Jesus, right? So if, I, if we want to know what leadership looks like, it needs to be Christ-centered leadership. But in our churches today, we see this hierarchy of senior pastor, and then there's, elder, or there's the uh, executive pastor, and then there are associates. Some downward down here is a youth pastor. And then you have children's ministry. You have this, this pyramid here. This is what it looks like. But spiritual, godly, Christ-centered leadership does this to the pyramid where the pastors are supporting the entire church with love and compassion, saying, go, do this. That's what, godly leader, that's what Christ-centered leadership looks like. So who is our example? Christ. And then I said this, I want you to hold me accountable. And that's not just words. Nah. I, I know my faults. And I will be the first to admit when I'm wrong. But if you see something, I want to open myself up to say that you do deserve a godly leader. So I would ask you, if you see something, you can come to me. If you don't feel comfortable coming to me, then pray for me. And I want you to also pray for these leaders that we have coming up. Because what this is, is something we're going to see in that house over there. That we're going to expect, we're going to demand that they provide the same godly leadership that we see Peter talking about here. So hold me accountable. And the last thing I want to say to you as we close is that how does your leadership in life stack up to this? I mean, men, those of you who are husbands, you are the elder of your home. You are the shepherd of your family. Are you feeding them with the word of God? Is devotion something you do? Do you pray with your wife? Do you pray with your kids? Do you teach them about Christ? Do you mentor them in his ways? You are the shepherd of your home. You are a single man. What about your family, extended family, your friends that are around you? What about your career, your job, your customers? Do you model leadership to them? Are you feeding the word? Are you focusing on giving of yourself to people in the name of Christ? Are you guiding them? Women, there's a beautiful passage in Titus I want to read to you. 
And this beautifully talks about the role of leadership in women. Older women, so that we could call them elderettes if you want to, but (laughs) older women, it says, this is Titus, this is the word of God, not me, so older women. Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. See, this is called the Titus 2 ministry. If you think that you're a lady and you're like, oh, I just come here, I don't know what my role is. The Bible has specifically given you the responsibility to train those that are younger than you. You may not call yourself an old lady. You may call yourself an old lady. I'm going to be very careful with this. I know I'm on ice here. But you're always older than someone. There are people that you need to be investing in. And it could be somebody that's your same age that is younger in faith than you. They need your wisdom. The church needs your wisdom, ladies. I need your wisdom. There are several ladies in my life that I look to as second mothers that have guided me and guarded me. They have rebuked me. They've treated me like a son, son slash pastor. The ministry for women is amazing and needed. Men, women, children, we are all leaders in some capacity. Number one, you should expect this kind of godly leadership from the church. Number two, you should expect this kind of godly leadership from men in our church. And number three, you need to expect this kind of godly leadership from the ladies in this church. And we all need to hold each other accountable. This is important, so important, that when times of persecution come, this is what we need to lean on. Godly, strong, shepherd, Christ-centered leaders. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you as a church. And Lord, you know we are doing our best to follow the standards we see in Scripture, the New Testament standards, the Old Testament understanding of these words. So Lord, I pray for our leadership and the leadership that we are going to be raising here as a ministry. I ask, Lord, that this passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, be a landmark passage for us that we would expect this kind of leadership from our leaders and also, Lord, we would expect this kind of leadership in our leadership capacities, whatever they may be. So I do pray for families. I pray that you would be with heads of households. I pray that you would be with the ladies in their ministry of leading as well, both married and single. And Father, as we go out these doors here in a few minutes, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth of how we are truly leading. And Lord, bring conviction if we are not doing what we should be doing as leaders. We give you the glory in all of this, knowing that you are the one who accomplishes it in us. This is not a pull yourself up by your bootstrap kind of way of thinking, but rather a more of a dependence and a leaning upon your spirit. Be with my friends now, I pray. Give them grace and mercy as they go in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we try to do...